1: My guest today is Jamie Kern-Lima. Jamie started her career as a journalist. When she was on TV, though, producers often commented on the appearance of her skin. She has rosacea, which causes her skin to look red. Those comments inspired her to create her own line of cosmetics, which eventually became known as It Cosmetics, a billion-dollar company. But a lot of people turned her down and refused to carry her products in their stores. Many people told her that she'd never succeed in the cosmetics industry. Fortunately, though, she believed in herself, and she worked really hard to build a major company that she eventually sold to L'Oreal. Her new book, Believe It, became an instant New York Times bestseller. And if you've ever struggled with self-doubt, I highly recommend reading it. In today's episode, Jamie talks about how to deal with rejection, what to do when you feel like you don't fit in, how to know when to step away from something that's not working, and much, much more. Make sure to stick around for the therapist's take at the end of the show. It's the part of the episode where I'll give you my take on the strategies Jamie uses to stay mentally strong. So here's Jamie Kern-Lima. She's mentally strong, and this is her story. Jamie Kern-Lima, welcome to the Very Well Minds podcast. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for having me. Your new book, Believe It, is an amazing read. I absolutely loved it. And I'm sure that so many people in the world are going to learn from all of the wisdom that you shared. So thank you for putting it out there. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: I was saying you're the pro author. I'm the rookie. So that means a lot. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I think when people, if somebody Googles you, they'll see that you went from being a waitress to a billionaire. And it makes it sound as though that's something that's very easy to do. Your book sheds light on the struggles and the problems and the difficulties that you faced along the way. And you were really honest in this book, too. You didn't just gloss over and say, yeah, I failed a few times, but I learned from my mistakes and here I am. You talk about some really difficult things. Yeah.
0: You know, I am. It's really because so many people over the years, like if they Google my story, they just kind of see that the headline, right? The highlight reel. And um, everywhere out there is like, Oh, Denny's waitress builds billion dollar company. But you know, every single day I get, I get messages from so many people, especially women, so many people who will say things like, Oh, you know, did you get lucky? Or they'll DM me privately on Instagram and say like, I'm, I'm excited for you, but I'm really struggling and I am getting rejection and I don't know if I should give up. And And I just kind of realized like, if we don't ever share, um, all the stories behind the stories, then people feel kind of alone in their own rejection or like, it's just happening to them or like maybe their gut was wrong or, or all of that. And so it's really why I wrote this book. It's, um, I know so with what you do with your show. And your own books, it's such a powerful thing to do that because I think, you know, I think most people hide when they're when they're struggling and when um, they feel like they're embarrassed if they're starting small and it's not working and all those things. So you know, my real story is, it, of course, I, I built a business and it, it, you know, but my real story is the girl who went from not believing in herself to to believing in herself and like doubting. I was enough, not even knowing how to hear my own gut to then learning how to hear my own in- intuition and making the decision to trust it. Um, and I know it's not just my story. It's the story of so many people out there right now, really, who are on their own journey of 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 going from not believing in themselves to believing in themselves and, and, and um, trying to believe in the possibility of their own dreams. So that's who this book is for.
1: And one of the things I loved about it was that you talked a lot and it's just about you not believing in yourself, but what happened when other people didn't believe in you? Obviously, you got told no a lot and that hurts, right? How do you get, how do you deal with rejection when somebody says, no, I don't like your product or no, it's not good enough. Or even there were times where people said, nobody's going to buy this from you, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, rejection is so painful and, uh, always it never really gets, Easier, I guess. I mean, I still get rejection every day. <laughs> every day. I just try to not be afraid of it. Um, I think that uh and sharing it helps people feel less alone. But yeah, it was it was a long journey. So I, you know, I started um it cosmetics in my living room. I I thought I was gonna do what you do, part of what you do, which is like, you know, share other people's stories with the world. I always wanted to do that from the time I was a little girl. I'd watch Oprah every single day. And so I was in what I thought was my dream job. I was working as a, as a television news anchor and, uh, I started getting hereditary rosacea, uh, which for mm-hmm. me came in the form of like bright red cheeks with bumps everywhere. And they kind of, uh, sandpaper like texture. And I would be anchoring the news live and I would hear my earpiece from the producer. Uh, there's something on your face. There's something on your face. You need to wipe it off. You need to wipe it off. And I knew there was nothing I could wipe off. And I, um, I went on this kind of, through this season of self-doubt to start with, just thinking like, am I going to get fired? Uh, am I going to, are people going to change the channel when they turn? you know, all those things that <clears throat> our inner critic loves to tell us. And, um, but it was, it was, what I thought was a season of setback and it, it ended up being sort of a, a setup for what I, I was supposed to do next. Um, so it's where I really had this idea if I could figure out how to create a product that worked for me, it would probably help a lot of other people. Um, I didn't know though, anybody in the beauty industry, I didn't have very much money. Um, I didn't know, I didn't feel qualified, but I kept having this kind of gut feeling like I was supposed to do it. Um, And there's a lot of things I did wrong. As you know, I share a lot of those in the book. But one of the things I did right was the moments when I, when I would hear myself or my gut or my intuition or my knowing, which I believe we all have. Um, and I would make the decision to trust it. And so starting at cosmetics was one of those moments, like giving up on a dream because I thought I was in my dream job. But like sometimes knowing when to give up on a dream is as important as knowing when to go after one. And I went after at cosmetics, but I didn't realize... Oh, <laughs> so many entrepreneurs I know have this experience, Amy, but I, I didn't realize it would be really hard like it's not just enough usually to have a great product that works or anything else it was um you know we poured every penny we had into our into uh the beginning of our company and first products and uh it was three years of hearing no from everyone so all of these beauty retailers that i would used to put on a pedestal and think like oh my gosh you know if they believe in my product, it'll be huge or whatever. And they—they all said no. Um, I—I had this vision because I realized in this journey that I'd never seen anyone look, look like me in a beauty ad, right? Because I couldn't—I couldn't understand in the beginning. Why does nothing work for my skin? Then I realized, oh, I've never even seen a model have bright red rosacea with bumps everywhere selling a beauty product. And so I kind of vowed to myself that I was going to launch this uh, this company, but I was going to use real women real people as models with all different ages shapes sizes skin tones skin problems and and I was really going to try to shift culture in the beauty industry because I realized growing up I loved these ads on TV but they always made me feel like I wasn't enough so I kind of had this vision about can I can I put real people as models create a product that works uh, and then and then talk about and call them beautiful and mean it and try and try and shift culture in the beauty industry for every little kid who's about to start doubting themselves and, and every adult who still does. And I just had that deep, deep vision. But then all of the experts didn't think that was such a good idea. <laughs> all of them told me no um, for three years or that, you know, women, when one retailer said, uh, when retail store said, their mm-hmm. buyer said women will only buy makeup from images that are so um, unattainable. That, that they aspire to. Um, or if you don't do that, you, you know, your product will sell. Basically, a long way of saying they all told me to change who I am, <laughs> change what I'm doing. Uh, if I had any hopes of getting a yes from them one day. Um, and then the one story I think that you're you're mentioning from the book, Amy, was um, a couple years into the, into the business when we finally, and we were down to under $1,000 in our bank account. I didn't know how we were going to make it. And one potential investor, um, we got a phone call from a private equity company. And I thought this was like huge because we had no money. I <laughs> didn't know how we were going to make it. And uh, and the uh, potential investor loved our product. And so we started doing meetings and uh, we entered the diligence phase, which is where you show your product pipelines and your projections and all that. And uh, it got down to the final meeting. My husband and I actually flew up for this meeting And I thought it was going to be huge. I thought if they invest, we're not going to go bankrupt. And maybe they can use their leverage to help get us into some of these stores that keep telling us no. And and in that final meeting, they congratulated us. And the head investor said, you know, uh, we love your product and are really proud of everything you're doing. Uh, And, uh, but it's a no, we're going to pass on investing in it cosmetics. And when I said, okay, can you tell me why? Like, Can you, you know, because I'd heard hundreds of no's at that point. And um, he said, do you want me to be honest with you? And I was like, yes, please. And he, this was in person. So he was about three feet from me. Uh, and my husband was on the other side and then his whole team was there. And he said, I, he, he literally just three feet away from me <laughs> said, um, I just don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. And I remember I um, right away, I felt like this. my whole body kind of like flooded with feelings of like a lifetime of body doubt and self-doubt and all that. Um, and I went in my car and cried after. But the thing I'll never forget is like in that moment, while he was saying those things to me, um, I remember getting this feeling like, like right when he said that women won't buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. I got this feeling like this in the pit of my stomach that I'll never forget. Like right when he said to me, I don't think women will buy makeup from someone who looks like you with your body and your weight. Um, I just got this such a strong feeling like right in the pit of my stomach um, that said he's wrong. And and I felt it like so clear. And it's, it's not that it, the rejection didn't hurt. I mean, it, it sucked and <laughs> all of that. But I remember that deep feeling that said he's wrong. And, you know, over the years, I had to learn, I think we, I think all of us in various forms have had people like look at us, look us in the eye and tell us we're not enough, or we need to change who we are. We don't fit in or we don't belong or whatever that stuff is. And I really, I wrote, believe it in big part for like, what do you do when that happens to you? You know, and I think that we can all go in so many directions. Like you talk so much about what mentally strong people do and don't do. And I've done both of both. (laughs) <laughs> and, and continue to work so hard on that um but one of the things that that i i really had to get good at was like turning down the volume on not letting things like that words like that replay in my own head or take root in my own like being um and i had to learn to turn up the volume on like moments the moment i felt intuitively he's wrong um and, you know, it's interesting, uh, just to share this kind of for fun, but <laughs> six years later, when, uh, when, when L'Oreal bought it cosmetics and it was all over the, like the homepage of wall street journal everywhere. I, I heard from that. I hadn't heard from him in six years. And the day we were acquired by a cosmetics, uh, I got, I heard from him saying, and he said, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I was wrong. Wow. And, um, yeah. And I learned it would have been the most, Successful investment in his firm's history. How he believed in me, but also, you know, just in case someone needs to hear this today, I there's a famous saying: rejection is God's protection, or rejection's the universe's protection. And I think that's like so true because at the time he rejected me in that case, like in that moment, I can say this about a lot of other moments too, a lot of different stories. But like, I was so desperate at the time; I had no money. I, had, I didn't know what we were going to do. I probably would have sold him the majority of the company for probably close to no money, um, but because he didn't believe in me, by the time we were acquired from L'Oreal, we were still the largest shareholders. Um, and I just think that sometimes when we go through those seasons of rejection or setback, or I mean, it doesn't—it's never fun. It's never fun. Um, but I think keeping that mindset around, you know, rejection, even though it sucks, not being afraid of it. <laughs> And, and when it happens, believing that it's it's God's protection, I think is a is a big thing because a lot of people sit on the sidelines of life because they're afraid of rejection. Uh, and I think that when we're not afraid of it, and we can minimize it. I think that and not be afraid of the feelings that the the feelings that come with it. I think um, it helps us not talk ourselves out of our own truth in life.
1: That was a big takeaway from your book. You make it clear that rejection hurts, and you don't minimize that, but that it's tolerable. And the other big thing I really liked is when you talked about when you got rejected, you didn't then set out to prove somebody wrong. Sometimes you sent a letter Mm -hmm. that said, I look forward to my product someday being in your store. And you said you followed up whenever you had a press release. But I never heard you say, I'm going to prove all these people wrong and I'm going to show them. Instead, you just kept your eyes on your own path, doing the best you could without worrying necessarily about them. Well, you got that thank you from that guy later or that uh, message about him being proud of you. It doesn't seem like it was about that. That wasn't your point mm-hmm. in proving other people wrong or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And I never I I never had a resentment toward him or anger or anything. Like it hurt my feelings. Like I went in the car and cried. But two things I love, thank you for calling that out. Cause I think this is big. I think a lot of people make the mistake of taking rejection personally and getting distracted and making things about their competition or the person that hurt them or the person that and, you know, there's that famous saying, I'm going to probably get it wrong right now, but that famous saying, um, resentment is like drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the other person. That's yes. the same, right? And listen, in, in real life and day-to-day friendships and relationships, if someone is hurting you, uh-uh. like done, but in business, you know, this idea of rejection or even just going after our own hopes and dreams, right? There's people out there, you know, taking that risk and auditioning for something today or submitting their manuscript today or there's, right? I think that, I think that not being afraid of rejection and not taking it personally is so important. And when I look back, I mean, Sephora, which is a a big beauty retailer in the US said no for six years in a row. Even after we became the largest beauty brand on QVC. So QVC said no for kind of two or three years. We eventually got there. And then we, when we became the largest beauty brand in QVC, Sephora was still saying no another three more years. <laughs> like, but, but to your point, all of the times I would get rejected. It's not that it didn't hurt. It's not that I wasn't like, how is this not personal at this point? <laughs> because I even can make them money and they know it. And they're still saying no. Like, how is it? But in that whole journey... I believe the only one of the only reasons that Cosmetics was able to go from my living room into now, well, right now, as we're talking, it's the largest luxury makeup company in the in the U.S., which is wild. But but had I taken all those rejections personally, I never could have eventually turned all those no's into yeses. Um, and and one thing you just brought up that I think is so powerful too is like. I really just made this decision, even when it hurt my feelings, even when I felt like, oh, this must be personal. Um, I made the decision like, okay, they just rejected me again. <laughs> I'm going to sit in my feelings for a minute. I'm going to cry my eyes out. I'm going to go hide under the covers. I'm going to do all those things. But when I, when I interacted with them, right, I literally, like, I remember a week, I was a couple days or a week after Sephora gave me a big, big rejection. I literally emailed the buyer I'm like great news we just got this press placement and and I can't wait until your customers can experience our product one day looking forward to it like they must have thought I was crazy <laughs> but I was just like I just made the decision <laughs> to believe uh, that it was going to happen and it doesn't always happen overnight and I think I think it's a big call out because a lot of times we get knocked down we get rejected we're seeing no traction and we're a month into it or a year into it and we think oh it's not what I'm supposed to do. My gut must have been wrong. And you know, I think that, you know, when I look back on everything and when I would check in with my gut and be like, I don't understand this. i'm I, I keep feeling like we're supposed to be on QVC, but now it's two years straight. they've been saying no to me, and that literally I'm not the right fit for them or their customers. But when I would check in with my gut and I, and it felt like it kept telling me I'm supposed to do this. Like I made the decision to trust that and, and over the lack of proof that I was right around me. Um, and I think that that's so important. And I don't think, I I love that you call these nuances and mindset out. They're so powerful. Cause I don't think the victory is don't give up, don't quit. Cause a lot of people say that. I don't think that's true. I think I think the victory is being able to hear yourself and your own knowing and then trust it. Because sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes knowing where you're at, even though you thought it was your dream, when you know it's no longer where you're supposed to be, the victory is trusting it. The victory is that you isn't that you needed to get a certain outcome or have a certain whatever happen. Like, I don't think the victory is that I sold my company for a billion dollars. I think the victory is the moment I trusted
1: myself in the journey of that. You know what I mean? I'm so glad you said that because I hear so many people say never quit, or they think that somehow strength means that you'll push through no matter what. I tell people you should quit all the time, quit more often. If something's not working out, then don't do it. But I think when we get caught up in something, if we set out to start a business and it's not working well, our ego can play into the fact that we have to keep going at all costs. Or when somebody... As you say, you had what would have been your dream job at one point. People think, well, I've achieved it, so I can't quit now. I have to keep going, or I'd look ungrateful if I stopped. I think it's okay to quit things. Our goals change. Our values and our priorities don't always align when we start set out to reach a goal. You talk honestly about how many hours you worked. You were working hundreds of hours and putting all of this time and energy and effort into your business, and that was okay with you at that point in your life. But for some people, they might get into a business and realize... I can't, I don't have a hundred hours a week to devote to my job. That's okay.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, um, what you're doing is so impactful in the world. So thank you for that by the way. But when I, you you know, I, she, I think sometimes we also have to learn to trust ourselves to not trust ourselves. And what I mean by that is I realized, um, you know, I, I, I talk so much about this journey of starting a business or idea or a dream with your partner, right? A lot of people start it with their friend, their loved one because that's who you trust more than anybody, so it just kind of makes sense. But then <laughs> it can come at the price of like your relationship and a lot of other things. I talk about that journey, in believe it, and I also talk about how and I'm super honest about it because while I do not believe I needed to have worked 100-hour weeks for 10 years to have the outcome or journey or whatever that I have, I don't think that I needed to. Um, I also realized, I realized that, and, and my husband as well, we were like addicted to work. We realized we were addicted to work. And I think busyness or work addiction is like other addictions where it separates you from you. It's numbing. It's all those things. And when we were finally having a lot of success, you know, I had this kind of idea like, oh, If we go public, I'll ring the bell and all those things I thought would be so sexy and so fun. But I also knew if we went public, I would still be running the business. I would still, and I didn't trust myself um, to not continue uh, working 100 hour weeks. And, you know, I realized that I had missed out on, like, I was not a great wife, owner of a body, (laughs) like, friend, family member, like, the only thing I was really good at for a long time was was building a business pouring my heart and soul into like our customers, our teams. Uh, but that was it. And I had to make the decision to literally not trust myself. And what I mean by that is, b- the biggest reason we decided to sell our company to L'Oreal was because I didn't trust myself if I was going to keep carrying it all myself. And Um, and so we did, and it was one of the best decisions we ever made. Like my husband says to this day that, you know, why we have our kids, (laughs) why we have like all the things, like, had we not made that decision to step away eventually? Um, I don't think that we would even have our family or anything else. And so, you know, I, I, when we sold a L'Oreal, I stayed on for three years and Um, we doubled the size of the business in the first two years post acquisition. And, you know, it's like, it was in such a great place where the team is so rock solid and they can continue our mission and everything else. And, um, but you know, for, for, for a decade, we went through a season of trying to carry pregnancies and not being able to, and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I think, I think sometimes it's, 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 it's important to, to know when we're not quite strong enough to trust ourselves to keep going and to change who we are. Right. And I needed to step away and I needed to really start doing the work of becoming unaddicted to work. (laughs) And that was a a big realization for me. Um, And one of the things I'm most proud of, to be honest, like I, I, um, a friend of mine recently said this week, a friend who has done so much in her career and she, uh, uh, spoke at my book launch event, um, Robin Roberts, who hosts Good Morning America. And we were talking about this topic. I thought she was going to share live at the event the things she's most proud of. And she was talking about this. And she says, because I know, you know, she's done, she's accomplished so much and wakes up all of America every morning and has, is in the, the Hall of Fame for broadcasting and has won all these sports awards and all the things. And she said the thing that she's most proud of that fills her soul, like that she's most proud of are the things she's overcome. And I thought that was so profound because we're in this society, right? And I'm so guilty of this in my own upbringing of attaching love to achievement or to outcome or to goals or whatever. But isn't it true that so often the things we're most proud of at the end are like the things we've overcome. And I just thought that was super... Super impactful. So, And it's funny because I'm proud of the decision to, to realize that I wasn't strong enough to keep going in that role without it coming at the price of losing things
1: I'd probably regret forever. So, yeah. That's a really good point. Our environment makes a huge difference. Sometimes people think if you're mentally strong, you should be able to power through anything in life no matter what. And that you should come out unscathed. Mm. That's not true, though. So again, how do you set yourself up for success? Maybe it's saying, I'm going to sell my business and I can be okay with that and still be a mentally strong person when I'm not working 100 hours a week. Mm. But to know that that was an area that you struggled with. And I was so impressed in the book that you talked a lot, not just about your professional struggles, but the personal ones, too. You talk about finding out accidentally that you were adopted. Mm -hmm. And then you were really open about the fact that you went to see a therapist. I'm a therapist. So of course, I'm cheering you on that you were willing to talk about that. But the the line that I love the most was when you said, if you're fortunate enough to see a therapist, do it. And you acknowledge that not everybody can see a therapist. So many people say things like, well, just go talk to someone. But not everybody has that resource available to them. We're getting to the point where there are more free resources and and more low cost options, but those aren't the only barriers. Sometimes there's a stigma attached, or people just don't have a therapist in their area. Mm-hmm. That door is starting to open, but I was glad that you talked about your depression and overcoming panic attacks. Was it scary to talk about that and to open up about that in your book? Yeah,
0: it was scary. You know, I was raised. Um, well, I have multiple families. <laughs> I, I learned about a whole nother couple families uh, when I found out I was uh, adopted by surprise in my late twenties. Um, but I was raised with families plural and none of them went to therapy. They all kind of didn't talk about they either didn't talk about stuff, um, or they just tried to figure out how to handle it on their own. And, you know, growing up, I always kind of was like a lone wolf and I thought, Oh, I got this. Like, 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 I don't, I didn't even want to get married. I'm like, I don't need a man. Like I got this, like, you know, and I thought my lone wolfness, right. For anyone listening right now, who's like, oh, they just want to depend on themselves or whatever. I thought that was a badge of honor. I thought, you know, doing things alone, being independent, I got this was a badge of honor. And I realized, um, in some of the most deeply personal stories and believe it, Um, that I talk about, like I realized, oh, I had it all wrong. (laughs) Like I realized a life isn't meant to do alone. B my whole like lone wolfness wasn't a badge of honor that I called independence. It was actually like a deep seated fear that I wasn't worthy of anyone else showing up for me. And that's really where it came from. And so for me, it's been a journey also of, of, of like trying to live out that lesson that life isn't meant to do alone of trying to ask other people to show up for me and think I'm worthy of that. Um, uh, the way I show up for other people and, you know, and a big part of that too, is just not being afraid to ask for help. Um, whether it's in the form of therapy, if you're blessed and privileged enough to be able to access that, um, or whether it's in the form of faith or, or anything else. Um, I think that it's huge. I think that it's huge. And it's a lesson uh, that I didn't, I wish I had learned much sooner in life.
1: One last question for you. If somebody listening is really struggling with self doubt, what's your advice about what they can do right now? How do they get started so that they can believe in themselves too?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, the first, the most important thing uh, is to know. That if you're struggling with self-doubt, a, you're not alone. <laughs> B, I don't think literally, Amy, I don't think I've met anybody at this point that doesn't struggle with self-doubt all the time. And that was a huge realization for me. Like I, I, you know, talk in Believe It. I talk about how some of my mentors, who I only knew from afar my whole life, I've had the blessing now of meeting some of of uh, the who I think are 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 the most incredible. Um, inspiring, amazing people in the world. They all have it too. We all have it. And I think so many times and I love that you talk about it because so many people we feel like we're alone in it or something's wrong with us or or we're wrong. Or all those thoughts we tell ourselves, I think the most important thing is to know you're not alone in it. Right. And then I think being aware of it is huge. And then starting to to take steps into going, okay, Do you want to change it, (laughs) right? Let's let's be let's keep it really real. There's so many people that are like, oh, I I don't believe in myself, but they kind of want to stay in that spot because it's sometimes easier. Yep, right. But if you really want to believe in yourself, I think that it's possible, and I think that it takes work. I think it takes a lot of grace. I think that the most important thing is to really learn to build your own muscle of intuition and then start making little steps in trusting it. And I think that you know it can start with being still, even if it's like five minutes a day and giving yourself grace in it. Because there's a lot of people out there like, oh, I haven't even heard my own gut in a long time. I don't even know how to hear it, right? Because all we hear is how loud our self-doubt is or other people's opinions or the lack of success around us, and which was the case for me for a lot of years um but learning to just get still almost the way people learn to meditate um and you'll think you're doing it wrong probably forever <laughs> if you're just starting because like you know you try to meditate for the first time or the first few years and you end up going through your to-do list in your own head all the stuff right but just learning to get still and hearing your own intuition and, and 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 taking baby steps to trust it i think is big and i also think realizing I believe it's a muscle that we build over time. I think learning to think back to times in your life where maybe you had a feeling and you trusted it and you went with it and what happened or maybe the opposite. Maybe you had this feeling and you're like, Oh, I think I should do this, but you made the decision to listen to someone else um, and what happened as a result. Right. And just kind of like looking back at those experiences, I think help us build, build our own muscle of intuition going forward and I think learning to build that, learning to turn down the volume <laughs> on everything else and turn up the volume on our own knowing, um, I think is is the biggest step toward toward learning to believe in ourselves for sure.
1: That's all so true. And as a therapist, I have a revolving door of people that come in all day long saying that they're struggling with self-doubt, but they assume everybody else is confident. So I get the inside scoop to know, yeah, we all struggle with this sometimes. So Your book is going to open even more eyes to that idea that, okay, we all struggle with it, and then you give us a really good roadmap of what we can do. So I hope all my listeners go out and pick up a copy of Believe It. Jamie, thank you so much for being on our show today. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to The Therapist Team. This is a part of the show where I break down my guest strategies for building mental strength and explain how you can apply them to your own life. Jamie shared a lot of mental strength-building strategies during our conversation. Here are three of my favorite strategies that she discussed. Number one, turn down the volume on rejection. Jamie talked about how when she received a rejection from someone, she was tempted to replay their words in her head. But she chose to turn down the volume on the statements that she found hurtful. She paid more attention to her own thoughts and intuition. This is so important. Replaying someone's harsh words in your head will cause you to feel worse. But of course, it's something that we all do sometimes. But when you get rejected, commit to not allowing yourself to replay hurtful words in your head. And don't let yourself believe that one person's opinion is a fact. Number two, don't be afraid of the feelings that come with rejection. Jamie acknowledges that rejection stings. She said she cried a lot when she got turned down and when she was told she wasn't going to make it. And while those emotions felt uncomfortable, she was confident that she could handle them. That's really good advice. Often, we're so afraid that we can't handle feeling the discomfort that comes with failing or being rejected that we don't even try. But the truth is, not challenging yourself is uncomfortable too. And we're stronger than we think. So when you're tempted to skip something just because you don't want to be uncomfortable, step back and take a deep breath. Remind yourself that although rejection stings, you can handle it. And when you do get rejected, don't waste your energy insisting that you shouldn't feel sad or disappointed or hurt. Instead, accept that you feel those emotions and don't be afraid of them. Allow yourself to work through them in a healthy way. Number three, be still for five minutes a day. Jamie talked a lot about being able to trust your intuition and treating yourself with grace. At one point, she said, be still for five minutes a day. Turning off all that noise around you, even if it's just for a few minutes, is important. It's something that I talk about in my own books too. Being alone with your thoughts can help you build mental strength. It feels uncomfortable though, and sometimes it's downright scary to just sit and think without any background noise and without the need to be productive all the time. But it's important to take a few minutes each day just to check in with yourself. Pay attention to how you're feeling. Get comfortable with the thoughts running through your head. And listen to your intuition. So, those are three of Jamie's strategies that I recommend trying in your own life turn down the volume on rejection, accept the feelings that come with rejection, and be still for at least five minutes a day. Those are just a few of the tips that Jamie shares in her book, Believe It. I highly recommend that you go buy a copy for yourself to learn more.